Welcome to the Eschology Podcast. This is Clifton, and I'm here with Earl Zausmer. Hello, Earl. How is everybody today? Hello. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on here. We made a connection a while ago, and, and getting this started, Earl is probably no stranger to most people listening to this. But if you remember a red BMW, um, I think my biggest memory of that was probably around 97 Iaska finals and had the fender tilted out showing the infinite baffle uh, mid-bass or sub-bass driver in the kick panel there, which we'll talk about later. But anyway, Earl, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you making contact here. You know, kind of start from the beginning here like we normally do, but what's your uh, earliest memory in audio? Kind of how, how did you start getting attracted to it? I think it all started when my parents bought a new house, a house from someone, mm-hmm. and we moved in, and he had a stereo, and my father bought the stereo with the house, okay, and okay. It, was, it had horns on it. Can you imagine this? <laughs> uh, we started with horns and vacuum tubes with uh, beautiful, I think it was uh, Altec Lansing speakers, okay. a reco-cut turntable, which was a studio turntable. I had no idea what we had. I was never into music. I had no albums. And uh, that's, you know, we started that and I started listening and then I got music and boy, it, it kind of lit me up. He listened, you know, listening to good sound sure. that I was never exposed to. That's what started that type of thing. And I got more and more interested in it and uh, followed it. You know, I ended up getting myself a Morant stereo and, and then all of a sudden, one day I'm reading a Stereo Review or Audio Magazine at that time, and there was a review of a Infinity Servostatic speakers. I don't know if you remember them, but they were electrostatics with the subwoofer in the center, and I couldn't figure out how come that speaker was only three inches deep. How did it work? <laughs> I'd never <laughs> seen one like this before. Yeah. And I called the company, and, and who picks up the phone? Arnie Nudell, the president of uh, Infinity. And he explained it to me and says, there's a dealer that has this speaker in your area. So I, get, I call him up, and I said, what are your hours? He says, it's appointment only. <laughs> and I had never heard of a, an audio dealer of appointment only because I used to, I used to take my bike and go to Sam Goody's. Lafayette and and Heathkit. Okay. And you didn't have to make an appointment to go there. And I made an appointment and I rode my bike. I was only 13 years old. Wow. Where, where, where was this? In Philadelphia. Okay, Philadelphia. Okay. And I walk in the room and I guess he looked like, well, you sounded a lot older on the phone than you did in person. I said, can I, can I bring my bike in? <laughs> so I go in there and... All I see is brands that I had never heard of. This is like an introduction to the audiophile world. Right. And there was a tweeter, and there was a fire on the tweeter. It was called the Ionophane tweeter. And you had to light the tweeter, and it had gas on it. Wow. And what happened was the cone was actually the air. So it very, you know, it had no cone material. It was very unusual. Yeah. And that's where I first saw audio research, and I I never heard of them. AR was acoustics research, you know, but audio research, I never heard of them. And it opened up a new world for me, and he turned it on, and I'm telling you, it was uh, quite nice, 
quite nice. And I just, I didn't understand anything. But then he says, have you ever heard of this magazine, The Absolute Sound? Mm-hmm. And you've heard of that magazine, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yep. And I said, no, but I'm, I, I, re- I subscribed to Stereo Review and I, I just stepped up to Audio Magazine. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he says, well, here's a copy. He says, I have an extra copy. He gave it to me. I read it. I didn't recognize a single company and I started getting involved and listening and listening and, you know, it evolved from there. And I had a lot of equipment. I bought a lot of equipment and, you know, I ended up at the top end with the Mark Levinson HQD system in my house. That was a very, very special system. It had double quad speakers, electrostatics, Deca ribbon tweeters, which ribbons weren't even the style back there and two 24-inch woofers with the Mark Levinson ML2 amplifiers. Now, remember, these were only 25 watts apiece, pure Class A, and they were 82 pounds per channel, okay? (laughs) All Limo cables. I mean, this was a lot of money. Yeah. It started a business when I was very, very young, Mm -hmm. and it it just progressed from there, and it was, you know, I, I knew what good sound was, so my audio... When, before I came to audio, I was a home audiophile. Right. All my friends were home audiophile people. It, it was just, and then we had the Philadelphia Audiophile Society, and all my friends were there. So th- that was my life. Good music. That's when you started kind of mingling beyond the beyond the stores and magazines and, and oh, yeah. learning and more when, from others as well, yeah. Yeah, and then when one of my friends come over, he's a professor at University of Pennsylvania, he's a big audiophile, he says, you know what? I think audio cables sound different. And this was before, you know, we all had molded rubber cables. Right. His name was Ken Subramanian. I said, Ken, you're going off the edge. Why well, go in his house? He's got transformers on the refrigerator, transformers <laughs> on the television. He's got isolation transformers and everybody. And I said, I know I'm with, this is the guy, you know, this is, this, these are the people. <laughs> and needless to say, that was the first time I ever heard the difference between cables. I thought it was crazy, but it was right. And, you know, those people really would invite you over their houses. So I got to hear many, many systems. That was the good thing. Everybody shared, which is what brought me into the car audio of sharing. That, okay. you know, so-and-so said, I just got this. I would say, hey, can I come over? I'd love to hear it. So I got to hear a lot of good systems in home settings during that time. And I enjoyed good music. And uh, I guess the only down part about it was that after I got the HQD system, there was nothing better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you used to go over all your your friends' houses, and now all of a sudden their systems didn't sound so great. (laughs) And to go to the stores, you know, I'd go to music and sound and see all the new stuff. I'd go to Soundex and I'd get on my bike. I would ride to these stores. It was really strange. And it's like, they don't have anything better than what I got now. Mm. It it kind of stunted everything. But, you know, right. it happens. You hit, hit a plateau because there was nowhere else to go. No, and all your friends come over and they're all sitting there. And after a while, they didn't want to come over. They said, because it sounds good. <laughs> and now stuff. I go home, it sounds like I'm driving an old car, you know. Right. But I enjoyed it. It had such dynamic range. So... From that system, I learned what to listen for. Yeah. That was a very important fact, what I liked, what I didn't like. 
you know. Well, and I'm sure being able to listen to other people's systems as well, you started that process of evaluation and critiquing oh, yeah. the, the differences between their systems from each other and your own. Oh, yes. And remember, I was running all open real tape. Oh, wow. I was, I was one of these serious guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had the A77 Revox, the B77 Revox, and I had the Crown tape deck. Biggie, wow. real big, real yeah. heavy, real heavy thing. And I had such good stuff, the Souther straight tracking arm. I had many arms, different Kuwaitsu cartridges, different transformers. You know, I went through so much equipment from here to there. So after a while, it's pretty easy to evaluate something in a very short manner. Yeah, yeah. Very, I mean, you don't have to listen for a half it's, hour. It's Within good or minutes, it's bad. You can, yeah, yeah <laughs> you, you know it. And you know what to listen for after yeah, a while. Absolutely. Of those early systems that you built, I mean, obviously you went up to the ultimate, but was there a first memorable system where you thought you were getting to the point where you wanted to go, or was that when you got to the end? Well, that was the end speaker system. Okay. That really was. But before that, I had started importing Rogers LS35As. Have you ever heard of them? No. The little speakers, they were BBC monitors. And they were just the cat's meow for a small system. Okay. And could you imagine you're going from a four-inch speaker and a tweeter to a 24-inch subwoofer? You know, talk about a mismatch. Big gap. Yeah. 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 It, it was just, you know, I would say you just build on the systems. And sometimes I buy an amplifier. It would only stay in the house for maybe two weeks. It's out of there. Mm -hmm. I'd go on to a new one. That's what we were doing. We were always upgrading and going and I had a lot of specialty hand-built stuff, like I had the Paoli amplifiers. There was a man in, in Paoli, Pennsylvania. He hand-built these specialized amplifiers, and I ordered one of them from him. Oh, wow. You know, I had, I had the Futterman amplifiers, really esoteric stuff. And Harvey Rosenberg's uh, OTL amplifiers, tube amplifiers with no output transformers. Uh, I got to tell you, you know, a lot of fancy stuff, and everybody had everything that was the oddball you know, we had people at first, they had all their cables suspended by nylon strings from the ceilings so they wouldn't <laughs> touch the floor. They right. were near it. I mean, you're talking about people that if you mentioned the word UFO, they said, oh, yeah, we know them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> very, very esoteric type, pe but great, type of people. But, but really nice people. We all had the same goal was to get good sound. So that was my basis. And I enjoyed my hobby. I enjoyed listening to music. Did you get any more into the business side of it beyond the importing of speakers or? Well, at 15 and a half, I said to my dad, a dealer during those time was not allowed to discount any speakers. Right. And I wanted these special speakers. I said, they're like $1,800. But I called up a dealer in England and he said he'll deliver them to Philadelphia for $723. Oh, wow. My father said, okay, if you think that's right. So I ordered that. And if about a week and a half later, uh, it was here. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God. You know, like, wait a <laughs> minute, like this magic. is a business. <laughs> yeah. And needless to say, I never actually got to unpack it because I told one of my friends, and they said, how much you want to sell it for? So I sold it for $100 under the United States list price, and I never got to open them. They were gone. <laughs> so then I ordered another set of them. Mm -hmm. And then I ordered some uh, Rogers speakers. Right. I ordered some other stuff. And 
then I put an ad in the back of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Before they even got here, they were already sold. <laughs> wow. And I was making, I was all of a sudden, you know, having a full business and even quad speakers, you know, the flat electrostatics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found the dealer. It was Reading Hi-Fi. And I said, I'd like to buy a few set of quads from you. And he says, you know, we only get one pair like every two to three months. Mm. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> he said, okay. So I sent him the money and the quads show up. And I said, I'll buy some more. He says, you want to buy my supply out for the year? I said, probably. I said, but let me buy another two pairs. They were already sold before I even sent the money over to them. Wow. And he says, I like selling to you because people that buy quads, after they buy them, they're always hanging around the showroom saying, oh, my quads are doing great. And they hang and you can't get rid of these people. <laughs> and, you, you know, he says, and they all have technical problems, but there's nothing right. wrong except in their heads. He said, if I send it to you, I never see or hear from it again. <laughs> Take care of it. <laughs> so he yeah. was always over. And then he offered me turntables. That's when I got my first Lynn Sondek. Not from America, but from there. And it was like, I never realized there was a difference between turntables. And it was really something. Wow. I was doing every shipment was like, during that time was like $9,000 wow. a shipment. And I was doing right. one every other week. That's phenomenal. For a kid 15 years old, that's a lot of money. <laughs> no kidding. But I never got the speakers. I never got to use the IMF speakers. I never got the quads. I never even got the Rogers. Everything was already sold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh, I brought some FM tuners in. Okay. And I sold it to a guy. He says, you, gotta, you have a quad you know, from Quad, the company. Mm -hmm. Do you have Quad Tuner? I said, yeah. He says, I'll buy it. He says, can you put an antenna up for me? I said, oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> Never have you done it before. <laughs> I learned all about that. Yeah, I did that. I, and I put up an antenna, an FM antenna, because in Philadelphia, we had a great channel. And they were, they every Wednesday, they have live broadcasts from the Curtis Institute. Oh, wow. And they were as good as you can ever ask. And then I put, I bought a tuner. I don't know if you ever remember. It's called the Marantz 10B tuner. It's a very mm -hmm. special tuner. It's all vacuum mm -hmm. tube and had an oscilloscope mounted in the tuner. So you tune the radio and you could see what, what the antennas bouncing on. It was considered okay. to be the gold standard. Yeah. And I remember I put up an antenna up on my parents' roof and my neighbor comes over and says, hey, I want to get in New York television channels. Can you do that? <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> and I started, because of audio, I started installing long-distance antennas. I had close to, I, I, I just got my license. I, I, I had eight people working for me putting up antennas. Wow. We would just drive around neighborhoods with downed antennas, and I would put like a door sticker on, if you want your antenna fixed, we do this. Hmm. And all of a sudden in Philadelphia, you know, to receive all of the New York television stations, it started a whole business. Wow. And, you know, and then one time somebody said, why are you doing my antenna? Can you do my alarm system? <laughs> I said, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Four years later, I sell my alarm company to Wells Fargo Security. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> then wow. I bought, my, bought all my accounts out. And wow. then, and then, while we were doing it, I also did intercoms. So I did intercoms, okay. alarms, antennas, and you know, it was it was really a big business. 
Yeah, and I was just a kid. I was going to say, you're, you're still in your teens at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. So, so how, how did you transition from all that into car audio? Well, I got married, you know, and that's life was over at that point. You know, it was like, <laughs> I said, you know why married men die before their wives, don't you? Why? Because we want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a decision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so I got married and I had different businesses and I had started a business based out of my audio business. Remember I told you I also did intercom systems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I said to my father, I said, I got to go to England and meet these people that I've been buying this stereo equipment from for quite a while. I said, mm -hmm. I should meet them, see if there's something else. And when I went there, I saw this intercom on an embassy that had a, a video camera built right into it. I copied down the name, called them in Germany, and I ended up getting an entire line for the United States. And that company a few years, it was 10 years. And that was because of audio. Again, hmm. it was a success because of my audio, my audio hobby. Yeah. And 10 years later, sold the business. I had 72 reps working for me, I had a warehouse and 600, over 600 distributors. And a company from Europe came in and bought my whole operation. Wow. You know, all because of audio. Yeah. And what happened was I had a, a white BMW at that time. It was a 525. I don't know what year it was, maybe 90 or 89 or something like that. It was a nice car. It was very, very nice. After all, American cars, to have a German car was very, you know, very big for me. Right. And I remember I, I wouldn't touch the car. You know, it was like golden at that time. Who would ever think of <laughs> putting even a hole into a BMW? <laughs> right. And I still had my home stereo system, and I really loved it and everything. And what happens? I see an ad in the paper, and it says, Car Stereo Contest in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And I said, I'm going to go. I got nothing to do. It's on Sunday. I'll go and see what it's like. I, I thought everybody was going to just take their Bose system and turn them up, and whoever <laughs> turned it up the best. No, I mean, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea about any of this industry. Right. And I get there, it's like there's a whole big convention center of companies displaying all different speakers, amplifiers, all this kind of stuff. It's like it's like the parallel universe to home audio. Yeah. You know, they had they had the amplifier companies, they had the head end, they had all the speaker companies and all this kind of stuff. And it and it allowed you to do a lot of your own thing. So I went to the show and and it was a lot of head banging, you know, like those layout systems. And mm -hmm, that didn't sure. do anything for me. I was looking for, you know, good sound. And I could see that this one guy, his name was Richard Clark. Mm -hmm. I, I'd never heard his name. I didn't even know who he was. And I saw that he was the big guy. There was no two ways about it. His car, that Grand National that he had, yep, yep. that was, you know, I think that was like the top place. Nobody could get in it. Nobody could touch it. But everybody I'm talking, I said, who is this guy? And they said, well, he's, you know, like one of the major guys that really he holds a lot of patents. He's very smart. He's an engineer and all this stuff. I said, great. So I later go up and introduce myself to him. And I said, you know, it's my first time going to a car audio show. I'm a home audiophile guy. And he says, oh, you'd enjoy this car. I said, can I hear it? He says, if I let you in, I got to let everybody in. He says, why don't you come in after the show 
you could sit in the car with me. Mm. I said, great. So I stayed there the whole time. Everybody had left. He was just ready. He was just ready to take the car down. I show up. He says, come on, hop in. I hop in. And the first thing I noticed was when I closed the door, it was heavy. Mm -hmm. It was very heavy. And I didn't know why. And being Jewish, I'm looking like, oh, shoot. The door's closed. I'm never getting the hell out of here. You know, this is <laughs> the end for me. You know, it's like, it's got to be gay. It's got to be like gas nozzles in here somewhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I sit in the car and it's quiet. Mm-hmm. There's no noise in this car. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see any speakers. Yeah. I didn't see any speakers at all. And he said, what would you like? I said, do you have any Sheffield discs? And I said, sure. He said, hey, Richard said, yeah, I have one of them. Mm-hmm. He puts it on and boom. It was, it was the moment, you know, everybody has a, a a Yahoo moment or a Yahoo moment that it happens. Yeah. When he turned on that system, I turned my head to him within three seconds. I said, are there horns in this car? (laughs) I knew it right away. Yeah. You know, this, there's a sound of horns. Sure. And he says, yes. I said, where are they? I said, I can hear them, but I can't see them. He says, there. I said, and he points to him. I said, where there's nothing there you know i i didn't know any of this stuff and he plays it and and i knew for a fact at that moment that a car could support a really good sounding system not a head banging system mm-hmm. but a really good quality system and mine would not be horns there are horn speakers i've heard at many of the shows and at some of the homes and they have very good qualities and for a car they have good qualities too but for me i wanted a speaker richard clark's car as good as it was was a technical breakthrough in my opinion you know he had a lot of things in that car that i didn't know about i had never heard about capacitors for you know for power management and all that stuff It, it was a technically perfect car in my opinion but to me it wasn't a listenable car it wasn't what I call the British sound, which is a softer sound, uh, something you want to turn on, you want to listen to it all day and never turn it off. Right. That's my definition. It's it, British speakers have what they call the BBC bump, which is the British Broadcasting Corporation bump or, or dip. Around two or three, they have a certain dip in there, and it gives the illusion of naturalness and warmth. Mm-hmm. That's why British speakers sound like that. It's not. It's not a mistake. It's on purpose. And I. So you're talking. You're talking. There's a a dip at between two and three k. Yeah. It, it, just look it up on Yahoo. Just say the yeah, the right. BBC dip. Okay. Or the BBC bump. Right. And the BB the Rogers LS3 BBC monitors had the same thing. You could listen to them all day. You never get tired of them. Got it. Within by the time Richard had played a bunch of songs. I couldn't listen to the car anymore because it 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 was perfect, but not listenable to me. It's too forward. It, it really wasn't, and it was no, it wasn't forward. Okay. There's a difference between I had the big Mark Levinson HUD system, and they were solid mm. state amplifiers. And if you look in any of the big audio magazine, when they say the classic amplifiers of all time, the ML2 is always on that list. Mm. Within a short while, I would say six months, I sold them. Because I wanted to have tubes. Mm-hmm. I like the sound of a tube, a certain mm-hmm. certain something about it. So, you know, I, I, I said, you know, I should start investigating things. 
And I went back to the main hall and everybody was packing down. But I took a lot of the names and started looking them up and asking them for literature because there was no strong Internet presence for any of these people. And a lot of the stuff was made for cars to hold up against the temperature and the humidity of the outside. Sure. And I said, you know what? I want to start with something that I know is a good sound. And when I talk about the British speakers, there's Kef's speakers. Mm -hmm. There was Spender's speakers, Harberth, and there was Quads, and there was B&W, Bauer Wilkins. And I said, you know, the B&W 801 is such an all-around system. It sounds good. How about if I maybe get the speakers and try playing around with this thing? <laughs> so I managed to go to a go to a dealer and I bought parts originally. This was before I approached BMW. So I I bought the woofers out from a 802, which were only eight inch woofers, and I bought mid ranges and the tweeters out of the 801. And then I said, "Who's going to install this stuff? I don't even know." And you know, I look in, in the car audio magazines, which I didn't even know existed either. Right. And I saw this guy, Rick in Ferrero. And uh, I call him up. I say, can you do the system? I said, I've got the crossovers from the 801s. I've got the speakers. He says, you know, and he just says, I've never done something like that. <laughs> and even the amplifiers, I had six of those sound stream or sound something the ones by Nelson Pass, 25-watt, Class A, he said. Yeah. You know, it goes into Class A at like 0.1 watt, I think. You know, <laughs> you know that's about all the Class A you're going to get. But it was done by Nelson Pass. So I'm saying, like, I didn't even know that this guy, the man that did Threshold, you know, that did all these big companies, was into car audio. Yeah, so I yeah bought, it was Soundstream. Yes, yeah, Soundstream. Yeah. So I bought six of them, and I brought that. I brought the speakers and everything, and uh, and the head end, I had a Nakamichi mm-hmm. Dragon, or you know, like a, a really good yep. Nakamichi head end, yep. because I knew the name from the home stuff. Sure. And I drove the car up there and dropped all the stuff, and I said, I don't know anything about car audio. Can you just make me a system that sounds good? I'm giving you good parts to begin with. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what to tell them. Like, I'd like this or that. You know, it's like, a babe in the woods, but he's a, he was a good guy. And the system ended up like normal, the two woofers in the back, the, the mid ranges were in the grills on the dashboard facing up towards the windshield and the tweeter out of the 801, he made some modification and fit it into a, a new kind of grill where the original tweeters were on the BMW doors. You know, they were on the doors. Yep. Yep. And it took him like Four or five weeks, I got the car back. I go up there and he turns it on. I said, wow, sounds pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I felt very good with him. I, I had never had a problem with him. And he did a job that when I got in the car, I said, where is everything? You know, it was it was nice. He used the original grills, so the four inches were under the dashboard facing up and he sealed them off. But you know, the openings were only like two by three inches. It wasn't much. Mm-hmm. And I go home and I enjoyed the system for a while. I really did. And then I uh, saw that there was a car stereo contest. And I asked a contest theorist. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to take my car there. And, you know, I pulled up and it was in a big grassy field. And this was my first contest. 
And I gave them the money to enter. And they said, okay, you have three minutes or something to tell us about the car. And I'm sitting there and says, well, you know, I went to this car show. I met this guy, Rick Ferreira. He's a really cool guy and all this stuff. And he says, three minutes up. He says, how come you didn't tell us anything about the car? I said, I did. I, he said, no, you're supposed to tell us about your system. I didn't even know. I didn't even know you're supposed to tell him about what's in the car or why you did it or anything. I, right. I didn't know anything. He says, do you have any pictures? I said, no, why would I have pictures of my system? I, I didn't know anything. I really didn't. You know, uh, a newcomer, let's put it that way. Right. At the show, I started listening to other people's systems. And I remember there was a guy in a Pontiac and he was, he was like the big guy or something like that. He wouldn't even let you in his car. I got secret stuff. Mm. You know, I don't want to let you, I don't want anybody to know, you know. And finally, lets me in the car. I'm thinking, yeah, the secret is your system sounds horrible. It has nothing. It's, tar- it's horrible. It's terrible. You don't know what good sound is. And as I listened to more and more cars, each one sounded worse than the other. Mm. They didn't have any naturalness. I was used to a natural sound. Mm-hmm. They were used to a car sound. You know, at that mm-hmm. time, even the Becker radios for for Mercedes were terrible sounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I think I can do better. And that's when I started playing around with the car. And I started moving this around, moving that. And then one day I get this kooky idea after going to a Pink Floyd concert in Philadelphia. And I'm looking and saying, why aren't the woofers at the, at the Pink Floyd concert in the back of the room? like in my car. And then I realized the woofers have to be in front because when they were hitting bass notes on like when they were doing dark side of the moon songs, Mm -hmm. that bass hit you in the face and you could feel it. Mm -hmm. You could feel it on your face. And that's when I said, I'm going to move those eight inches. And I'm like so nervous to touch Rich's work. (laughs) It looked like a piece of artwork when you took it down. Even when I take it out, took it out of the car, it was like a piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. Stuff that I never would have seen, he did it perfectly. Yeah. You know, and he didn't have to. He could have made it sloppy, but he didn't do it. And I remember I, I went to my local installer. It was right around the block. I said, I want to take those woofers out of the rear panel and move them up where my kicks are. So he takes it all apart. He says, you know, you'll never fit them up here. I said, well, how can we fit them? <laughs> I had never even had the grills off. He says, well, I have to cut cut into your fenders and this. I said, well, let's try it. And the guy, my dealer tells me, he says, you're going to have to prepay me to do this because <laughs> I don't want any responsibility. He says, I have never cut the fender open of any car. Wow. And I said, well, uh, I'm going to try it. And needless to say, we go to garage and he, he didn't do it at his regular place. He did it at another place where he had more tools. Okay. And it was the place where they service Aston Martins. So the place was filled with Aston Martins. It was really cool to see them. You could tell the Aston Martin deal, if he sold eight, eight Aston Martins, eight of them were in the shop. You know? <laughs> you know? Do you know why Aston Martin never made televisions? Do you know why? Uh, no. They couldn't figure out how to make a television leak on a regular basis. They <laughs> <laughs> break down that often. So needless to say, we go to the place. He doesn't even take the fender off. We just cut from the inside. And he says, you sure you want to do this? He says, what's going to support the car? I said, let's try it anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, I was, you know, stupid, stupid, whatever. We put them in. He, he makes a piece of wood to cover it. We mount the woofer to the wood. 
And as soon as we turned it on, he looked at me and he said to me, he says, we got something really big here. You know, the whole, wow. the whole dynamics changed the system and they were only eight inch woofers and it was really big. And he says, you know what? He says, I doubted you. He says, but I've never heard a car with a frontal sound like this. You know, it was, it was powerful. And remember, I, I got 3 dB more of volume because it was closer to me. Mm -hmm. And the way it was done, I had to turn all the, the volume for the two woofers down. Wow. Just to, you know, just to have them listenable. So there was a lot of pluses, but it was mounted to wood, you know, and that because that's all you did. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I drove around with these woods with no grills, you know, just raw speaker mounted to the car for quite a while. And then I'm looking, I'm saying, wait a minute, you know, there's, there's other things to be done in this car, which brings me to the next aha moment. Okay. Okay. Aha moment. And it happened at Super Bowl. I know people would look like, how to, what does stereo have to do with Super Bowl? <laughs> we went over to our neighbor's house and he had that, that big projector television, the one with the three guns. Remember? Like the red, green, blue. Yep. 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 And I'm looking, I'm watching the game and all of a sudden I'm looking like, wait a minute, what about if the red gun was in the kick panel facing somewhere? And what about if another one was in the door, the green was in the door and the other one was facing up towards the windshield? Would I ever see a picture again? The answer was no, right. because you, you, you could never watch a three gun if they were coming from all different directions and different lengths away from your hearing. Right. And I said, those speakers have to be facing me directly, as if my eyes or my ears are the screen. That's how I thought about it. And not only that, this was before there was time delay. Okay. And this is when Richard had just introduced saying, you know, time delay makes a difference. And, and I, I'm looking like it's only a little car. I mean, it's like not much. And then I thought about what he had said. And when we're watching the Super Bowl game, I said, what would happen if I took the red gun of this three-gun television and delayed the gun three milliseconds? The picture would be ruined. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd see shadows and all this stuff. And that's when I started to say, everything's got to be up front. It's got to be facing towards me. That's the most important fact. I didn't even know about early reflections or anything like this. And I remember I I was playing with it. And I I mean, you can't believe it, but I took those speakers out from under the dashboard. I had never taken a car apart in my life. And I took the speakers and I start taking gray duct tape and taping the speakers to the dashboard up on top. I mean, it's dangerous to drive this car. And then I'm taking a wash towels around the back so it kills the back waves and it's just loaded with tape i mean really loaded with tape up on the <laughs> dashboard the tweeters are still on the on the doors you know like the car comes and i remember the first time i turned it on i was running lamp cord wire from the old wires to the new speakers mm -hmm. i had no knowledge of any of this stuff and as soon as i turned it on it's like what the hell is this you know like all of a sudden the voices are up on the dashboard they're here. It's a wide picture. And it comes back to that three guns again. If you have speaker, if you have guns facing in all different directions, you're never going to get a picture. If you have speakers facing all different directions, 
Later on, we found out that they bounce off of different subjects. And every time it bounces off of a different object, it changes sound. Mm-hmm. The sound that hit that wall, if you measure it beforehand and after, is a completely different sound. That's why so many of the competitors could never get their cars dialed in correctly. And I mean, I just drove around. It was, you know, I was just learning about the car. I didn't have much adjustment to work with or anything like this. And I remember uh, I said, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to upgrade my head end unit into the Sony, you know, the Sony X1P1. And I had to have a dealer do that because it was beyond my ability. And we had to change the whole rack. It, it just, you know, it was a big project. I said, but I felt it was, there was, there was potential here. As soon as we put the Sony in and I played with this, all of a sudden the mid ranges were like, like, like a picture up on the dashboard. And then the tweeters, and then when I, I got the tweeters timed out, and they still weren't right. It wasn't, it just wasn't right. The woofers were not bad. You know, I still had the eight-inch woofers and the kick panels. Right. And it was better, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't there, but it was a lot better. And the ability to do an EQ and all this kind of stuff. And luckily my local dealer had an RTA machine. So I could you know, so I could see what I was, was what I was doing. And well, it, it, it worked out very well. And I said, you know, Richard Clark has got this seminar coming up about the TEF machine, the time energy frequency machine. Mm-hmm. It would measure what your speakers hit, the, the objects that they hit before they, you hear them. Okay. And I'm looking, I'm saying like, I got to drive my car down there. And I went with like three people and we're all in the car and I had the Milbert amplifiers. I had the vacuum tube amplifiers at that point. We, when I changed to the Sony, I went to the Milbert tubes. Okay. And I remember them telling me that, you know, we've been driving from Philadelphia to North Carolina. We never turned the stereo off once mm. and they had no fatigue. And they all said, they all were competitors. They says, I can't listen to my car for more than a half hour. You know, it just grates right. on your nerve. It says, right. I've never been in a car like this. And remember, I hadn't even, this was the old car. You know, I get down there and Richard looks at it and they're all laughing at my car. I mean, they're literally laughing at me because I said, it looks so stupid. You know, it's, you know, like who puts their stuff on the top of the dashboard? That's why you have kick panels and doors and all this stuff. And, and I said, Richard, would you listen to it? As soon as it turned on, I could see his face. You could look at his eyes. He wasn't laughing anymore. <laughs> he wasn't laughing. And he says, can I play this song and this song? He played some pink noise and all this stuff. And he says, this car is basically typifying what I'm going to teach at the seminar. With the time delay, he says, that mid-range, the way you have them turned, he says, it's hitting you and no surface beforehand. And the fallout is not much. And then he puts the TEF machine in my car. Before he even started the seminar, he puts the TEF machine in there. He said, your mid-ranges are basically book perfect. They're just right. There's, it's, you're getting the first hit. says, and your tweeter on this side, your ear is getting the first hit also. Mm-hmm. He says, the other one is a little off angle. He said, the woofers are still bouncing around a little bit. He says, but, but this is as good as I've measured. Wow. And for me, that was, I, I think, I hit on something at that point. Right, 
Right. And I went and and that's when I learned about reflections within the car. You know that he had he had cars that he measured, and one had a mid range that hit eleven surfaces before it hit the guy's ear. Wow. And all I kept thinking about was that three-gun television. Yeah. It's going to hit 11 different surfaces. Each one's going to distort it. There'll be no picture of any worth at the end of 11 surfaces. Sure. So I know it sounds weird, but it was, you know. I think most people are on the same page now. It was just they weren't thinking about it when you were thinking about it. And the other thing was when I went to the Milberts, those sound streams were very good solid-state amplifiers. Make no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. They were really good. And the Milberts, when I found out about them, uh, David Burning, the man that invented the Milberts, you know, it was a home audiophile amplifier. That was considered one of the anointed home stereo amplifiers. It was, it was just a great design. And Milbert, what happened was he, my Milberts had three boards in them, a left channel board, a right channel board, and a power supply board ends up the left and the right channels are right out of the home amplifier. Milbert didn't have to change a thing. <laughs> and, and, and they, and David Burning didn't have to do a thing. David just designed him a power supply, the middle board. Mm-hmm. That's it. So you were getting an amplifier that was quite expensive and used on some of the best systems at the time. I mean, this was, this was a hand built unit of really good. And when I put it in, as soon as I turned it on within minutes, I knew that that was the another ingredient to the system. It had to have tubes. It became listenable, you know. So that's that's one of the things. And now remember, I had not gone to the coaxial tweeter yet. And what do I do? I ripped the, the A pillars off or the pillars for the tweeters. I didn't know how to get them out. I damaged the whole thing because I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I had to take it to the BMW deal. And they had to buy, I had to get all new tweeters on one side because I messed up so bad. And I pulled out the BMW tweeter and I had to tape, like tape to it plus a little post. It wasn't easy to do. And I put them in the middle of the mid-range. And I said, oh, this is going to block all the mid-range because the tweeter uh, was like a three-inch diameter, and the coil and the speaker was only a four-inch. Right. And I'm thinking, but I just wanted to try it. Well, it was only moved over a few inches from the door pillar to the middle of the speaker. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I put that on, it was like you hear the stars separate, the clouds separate. (laughs) And it was like a coherent sound. Yeah. And the other thing was that nobody realized about the car – you know, I, I, I moved the woofer, the woofer crossover a little higher. And needless to say, everybody else tried to move their crossover lower into the 40s and 50s and 60s. Right. And it ended up that the BMW 801, the reason it sounded so good was it crossed over 385 hertz oh, wow. from the 13-inch woofer. And what happened was the body of that woofer gave the sound a warm sound. Yeah. But the woofer... See, the, the woofer in that car is very special. The BMW woofer, you could take your finger and just flick your finger at it, and the cone will bounce back and forth and back and forth. It's a very loose woofer. Mm-hmm. And when they designed it, they made it so the, the port on the box of the 801 held it in place. Oh, okay. So you had a woofer designed like a mid-range. It was yeah. a very different idea the way it was done. 
And that's when I said, I'm going to move the crossover point up. That's what I did. And all of a sudden, the tweeter was good. I aligned the tweeter. And I knew I had something there. I, I knew I had, I knew I had something. That, you know. And with having everything up front, you were able to get by with much higher crossover points than the people that Correct. had things mounted in the doors or even behind, behind the front seats at that point. Well, anytime I saw a speaker mounted on the door, I knew it was going to go hit the other door, then it was going to go bounce at the other door. <laughs> right. You know, Richard Clark drew drawings of this, yep. of how many surfaces it hit. And your guns and your television are not going to produce this. And then the time alignment, it's going to bounce off a surface, plus it's going to be out of time. How do you get a good, how do you get a three-dimensional picture? Yep. And the other thing was, when I was younger, I also did a lot of near-field listening. Because that took the whole room out. My speakers were only a few feet away from me. That was my best sound I always loved. And I said, basically, that's what I have built in this car is a near field listening. Right. Near field means that your speakers have to be right on axis with your ears. Mm-hmm. When you have a near field system, you're sitting maybe three feet away from it the most. Right. Those speakers are at each of your ears. That's what that car had. No other car that competed had a near-field system. Nobody understood they were listening to a near-field system. Yeah. And all the others, any bounces anywhere, the car, you're never going to get it. Never going to get it. One thing I forgot to talk about was Mike Minio. Mike Minio, he had an influence on that car in a way. You know, everybody, when it came to time alignment, I bought that X1 and the P1, the Sony, yeah. because of Mike Minio. Because I was in New Jersey at a show with my white car before it was even modified or anything like this. And I remember a judge gets in the car, a tall guy, and he says, Mike, the car doesn't sound that good today. Is everything okay? He says, I want to give you a chance to make any changes. Well, Mike gets in the car, and I notice that Mike pushes the seat back up to his his tallness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He says, no. Is the effing thing sounds perfect, you know, and that's you know the way Mike, is. you know, he says, "Let me sit, sit in again." And he gets in, and I notice that the judge puts the seat all the way back, and I'm thinking, like, right. "Wait a minute, that's a very important fact." Yeah, absolutely. Mike didn't notice it, but I noticed it with my car because I said the time alignment is way out of whack. But I will tell you that even when I mounted that woofer up, the tweeter, a three-inch tweeter. On a four-inch woofer, you would never know there was anything blocked from the mid-ranges. It gave me a lot of leeway. And that's when I went to Bauer Wilkins and I said, there's a whole industry here waiting for your type of product. I gave I I wrote out a whole proposal to him, you know, at a business proposal. He gave me all of the speakers. And as my car became more popular in the future, they started calling BMW for speakers. And B&W decided to come out with a line of car audio speakers. <laughs> and nobody ever knew it, but the speakers were right out of their home speakers. Okay. He says, look, all we had to do is put in a box with a label for the midrange. <laughs> and the 8-inch woofer box of midrange right out of the 802. He said, and the tweeter is right out of the 801. He says, we didn't even have to make any changes. He says, the only thing we had to make was a plastic case for the tweeter to be mounted on. Okay. He says, and that was pretty simple. He says, and we were in the car business. <laughs> <laughs> they had a, they had a big you know big influence there yeah and you know like with dynamat dynamat early on i got a hold of scott you know we worked on the dynamat 
he ended up sponsoring me and I pushed his product. And all these little ingredients ended up becoming more and more honed in. Okay. Yep. And then there were so many holes in this car. I said to my wife, I said, this car, I can't drive this darn thing anymore. It's got so many holes all over the place <laughs> from everywhere I tried mounting. Right. And I said, and my wife says, well, it's your car. And I said, you know, they're going to Florida for a week to my parents. I'm buying a new car while they're away. <laughs> so, I <go> <laughs> so I go to the dealership. It's been snowing for a week. Everything's ice. Nobody's even set foot in this dealership. And this little guy shows up to their front door and there was a red BMW there. I'd never seen a red 540. And I bought it at a great mm. price because nobody was there. Right. Nobody was there. And that's when I started laying out the final what I wanted to do. And now you kind of had a idea of how you wanted to design the system, not just the components. Correct. And within it. A lot of things that we tried in the car, like mm -hmm. when I did this, I tried the 15-inch woofer, just playing around with it in the other car. Okay. Just temporary, you know, fitting it. Right. Because at that point, BMW had gone along with this. I, I still had a lot more designing. And then I, I went back to Mike Minio and I said, you know, it's very important that whoever sits in this seat has got to sit at the right point. Right. I was with my, my dad. And he was in the poultry business, and I was there with Frank Perdue. I don't know if you know that name, the chicken guy. The uh, you know he's a big chicken company back east. Okay, okay. And he had, he was showing something at the school, Wharton School of Business. He was giving a class, and he was using a laser pointer. And I'm looking like that's how I'm going to put him in the right place. Mm. I'm going to buy a laser pointer. I'm going to mount it in the car, have it pointed exactly where my ear is, and everybody's going to sit exactly where I sit. That was a major point. Yeah, for sure. Major point. And nobody ever knew it. That laser also, it skimmed. When, once I got that in the right position, it hit a certain part of the pole, the post that the microphone was mounted on. Yeah. So I, they put the post in. I said, let me just move it to be sure. I always had the microphone in the exact same position in my red car at every single contest aligned by laser. Nobody ever realized it. And, you know, at every competition, oh, your RTA's off, your microphone's bad. Out of every show that I ever went to for all those years, not one single show gave me a different curve than the one I designed. It was always... Because you had it perfectly fact. placed. Correct. I had all the speakers, the tweeters and the mids facing directly at the center of that microphone, hmm. not bouncing anywhere. Right. And the woofers, the same thing. And the same position, every single solitary show. And I can, and I remember there were fight, almost fights at some of the shows. Your microphone's not good. And, and me, I'm not saying a word. You know, I'm not, like, I don't need Minio. I don't need Minio after me. And sometimes <laughs> Minio didn't realize, but his seat was in the wrong position. I knew it. Right. But I'm not gonna, I didn't want to say anything to him. The guy would smack me or something like that. You know? <laughs> and then we moved on. And I found Henry. And Henry is a very special guy. He's different from most of the others for an unusual reason. Most of the car audio people work in wood. Henry works in metal. Mm. Okay? I didn't appreciate that fact at first. I didn't understand it. Right. But as I got to know him, I understood how important that fact was. When we made all the, all the stuff for the batteries, mm -hmm. he didn't buy it. 
he machined everything. I got so many extra points for that. I told him, I said, I want the woofers, the mid-ranges here. I want them up on the dashboard and I my nice cabinet and everything. He looks at me and says, how about if I build you an elevator and bring both of them up from the underneath the dashboard? I'm looking like, <laughs> do what? Are you smoking dope or something like that? <laughs> how do you do that? Because I had seen the actuators and they were, you know, they had just started to have actuators right. and they were very long and they wouldn't have fit under the dashboard. He says, no, I'll build an elevator that it lifts within its own length. And I said, explain that again, uh, <laughs> elevator that lifts within its own length. And I'm like, okay, if you feel that's okay. He gave me a price that's more expensive. He says, I'm going to build the boards. He says, because on the driver's side, it won't fit up. He says, so what's going to happen? The speaker's going to go up. And then the speaker is going to, the tweeter is going to rotate in position. I said, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, are you crazy? And I said, how are you going to do the dash? And he says, I'm going to open the dash up and then put a machined metal ring. He says, so the dash will keep its shape because the dash is just foam. Right. And needless to say, he made the gears by hand. Wow. People didn't understand that. He didn't buy any parts. All he did was bought a little model electric motor. It was a little thing that he put in a model. And he made his own gear for it. He put the threaded thing to catch the, the shaft of the motor. And then he built a gear for the thing to go up and down. He machined every tooth. Nobody ever knew that because they didn't see any of it. He had the limit switches in here. And I'm saying like, this is unbelievable. So that's why that's why it was so smooth compared to what people were accustomed. To. Well, no, that nothing would have fit. Nothing else would have fit. Well, yeah, but so many of the actuators ended up being jerky and loud and everything too. You know, beyond just fitting. Yeah, it seemed like those were coming from another world <laughs> when they I mean, yeah. were introduced. When they would come up and turn, I'd say, "Oh, throw away the Playboy. I got something better." <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not bad. You know, it was like. My wife would say, what are you doing in that car? <laughs> <laughs> Watching my tweeters go up and down. <laughs> Needless to say, he's working on that. It took long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I pushed him a lot. I pushed him too much, actually. I was an impatient guy. And then I'd go up there and help him. And no matter what I did, it made more work for him. I remember one time I said, oh, Henry, I'll just vacuum the car out. I'll get this to, you know, I'll give you a hand. He says, okay. And, I, and he had just vacuumed up some of the stuff from the from the lathe he had you know all the aluminum chips mm -hmm. i put it in the vacuum cleaner i put it in the blow hose and it puts chips all over the car it blew all the chips and oil <laughs> all over the car he says you know it's gonna take me a day to clean all that he says you can't Stop walk, helping. you can't run you know and he was just you know i was there all the time i shouldn't have been but he was he was a good he's a good guy he likes quality likes a certain way I just wasn't used to it. so. Right. But in the end, it worked out very well. And then the other thing was we needed a woofer amplifier. You know, I couldn't use the sound streams anymore. Right. Not for these, not for the big, for the big woofers. Right. And, and I remember before I bought the BMW, I didn't know if I was going to buy another BMW because I liked the Audi A6. It was such a beautiful car at that time. Mm -hmm. yep. And I remember, here's me going into the Audi dealer or Haverford Pike, carrying my 13-inch woofer. And that was one of the things. The woofer had to fit the, fit the car. And the guy's look at me. He says, are you freaking crazy? Like, 
yeah, I'm not buying this card unless this woofer fits a defender. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just weird. And then I then I went over to the Volvo dealer with my woofer. Right. And then I, and then I went over to the Mercedes Benz dealer with my woofer. And the only one that fit was the BMW. That's the car I had. That's funny. Just said, like, what do you want? The comfortable seats. I like a car. No, <laughs> I, 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 I need, need this the, woofer to fit. I need the woofer. <laughs> but you know, another thing that happened was that was very obvious that this woofer was very loose. And it was done that way purposely. And we went free air into the fender. Right. You know, and I knew after the first car, we were going to make it different. And Henry says, I don't think you should use wood on that woofer to mount it. He said, I'm going to take a quarter inch steel plate, weld that to the car and thread it. And you'll mount the woofer to the car so it becomes part of the car. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't understand, he didn't understand how powerful that was, that statement, Yeah. until we turned it on. And when he hit a bass note, we tried him at first, the whole car shuddered. <laughs> you know, and, and people that have heard my car always talk about this. You know, when you hit the bass on the front, it came through the car yeah. because it was part of the car. Yeah. In my next car, when we made that other improvement, not improvement, when we changed the system, they mounted it with wood. It lost everything. Wow. It was the metal attaching to the car was so powerful. It shook. It shook the car in such a way. And the car had close to 300 pounds of dynamite. Right. I mean, we had two, uh, two of the silver plated ones, and I put another coat over there. It was, you know, it was a quiet car. And, you know, it was like a tank. And then we, we played with some amplifiers, and we realized that the guy in England told me, the, the guy who designed the 801, mm-hmm. which was the man who helped me with the car, he says, you know, I designed that woofer that the enclosure would hold it in place. He says, but if you're going to free air, you need an amplifier that is not just powerful. It has to have a high damping rate to hold that woofer in place. And it should be fast. You know what I mean by a slew rate of an amplifier? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's how fast an amplifier can react. So I said, okay, I got to start looking around for an amplifier. We tried a few of them, you know, the standard brands. And I got to tell you, it didn't have much luster. It, it, it just didn't light me up at all. And I tried the Orions. I tried the uh, MTXs. I tried the, the ones with the fancy drawings on it that was made in phoenix ppi uh, precision amplifiers and tried some other stuff and it just didn't get me and for some reason i was at one of the shows and zapco was there and i didn't really know about zapco i know i knew you know it was almost like the high-end home products right i didn't know who they were and he's showing me that we have separate power supplies for our amplifiers and our preamps i'm looking like this is serious stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't, and I, but I had never seen it anywhere. Nobody else had it. Right. You know, nobody carried it. No competitors had it. I called the guy up and he was the head engineer and I'm talking to him. And I said, what do you use as a reference for your amplifiers that you designed? That was important to me. He said, I have a full Mark Levinson system here in the lab. He says it has to equal. And I said, which amplifier? And it was not the Harmon Carton Mark Levinson stuff. Right. It was the real Mark Levinson. Right. He gave me the name. I said, oh, my God, this is a serious guy. 
When I ask all the others, when I ask MTX, it's oh, we just have some speakers here. Right. And you found out it was for a price. They made it for a price. Sure. And it was just for a lot of boom and bang. But this this car was not about that. Right. And he says, you know, we have a new amplifier. He says, I'll be able to ship in about another two weeks. He says, and it's all surface mount technology. And I said, you know, those little tiny things, those little tiny resistors and things like that. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You are using surface mount in a car stereo amplifier. He says, yep. He says, we're going to be the first. I said, that is really like high level. He says, yes, and we've done this and this. And I said, can you tell me what are the specifications of this? He gave me the damping factor. I said, are you sure about that? (laughs) And I said, it was way beyond any any of that at the time. And remember, PPI, I had to get a hold of the engineer. He didn't even know it off the top of his head, what his slew or or the damping (laughs) rate or anything. And when he gave me the numbers, they were single digits. Right. You know, and the slew rate was so slow. This guy gives it to me and I'm like, oh my God, this is lightning fast. Mm -hmm. A lot of control. And he says, you can mono it. He says, so I would recommend get two amplifiers, mono each one, and that's how you do it. Right. I said, okay. So I bought them. He didn't give them to me for free mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I had I had seen all these other amplifiers opened, and they looked normal. When I got that Zapco, it didn't look like a car audio amplifier. Right. It looked like a very high-end esoteric piece of equipment. And the other thing was, it was a four-layer circuit board. And up till this day today, I can't figure out how to get four layers on a circuit board. But he says it's mostly on very high-level stuff. So now we had everything, and I think we had the new XES at that point. You know, we took the old system out. Right. You know, it was just changing around systems. And I remember Henry says, you know, there's a, a sound off near near us in another like three weeks. I said, well, let's go to it. He says, I don't know if I'm going to be done, but I'm going to try. The time comes and I'm there the morning of the show. He's still putting the system in the morning of the show. (laughs) We had no, there was no left kick panel, no right kick panel, no covers or grills for the speakers up on the dashboard. And he said, Earl, sit in the car and adjust it. And I said, I've never adjusted the car yet. (laughs) This was my first time I ever adjusted the car. We go to the show, and I remember they pull up because nobody knew I had a new car coming. And I think they were all surprised. And there's Minio. He says, what's this? I said, it's my new car. You know, he looks like, where'd you get this car? And it was a beautiful-looking car. But it had the stock wheels. You know, it it wasn't fully outed yet. Right. And needless to say, you know, he sits in it. And I could see his face. I could see it in the, I was in the back seat. He sat in the front. I could see it in the rear view mirror. He knew there was something special about this car. Wow. And he says, pretty nice. You know, like, like something like that. <laughs> and he was okay with it. Mm-hmm. He wasn't okay by the end of the show because I got best of show with no, with no grills, no nothing. <laughs> and I won my class and he's like, Oh, shit, what the heck is this? You know, right. what the heck is this car? Henry was elated. And, you know, I let a lot of people in the car to hear it. It was very different for them. Remember, Mike had never heard a system with the speakers up on the dashboard. Nobody had. It was really something. We took it back to Henry's. 
and he finished everything up, and then I started competing. But, you know, in the meantime, remember, there was a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, I forgot to mention with Straight Wire. When I first did my, my when I was going to do the red car, I called him up. I knew him from Homestar, and I loved the look of his cable. And I said to Steve, I said, you know, have you ever thought about car audio systems, But you know, cables? He says, no, I'm home stereo. He says, I do home. You know, I do home stereo. Mm-hmm. I give him a whole pitch. He says, okay. He sends me all the cables. And this was not cheap cables in that car. Not at all. You know, they were the very right. thick ones. Right. Within a year, he had an entire division just for car audio. <laughs> you know, it worked out good. The same with those batteries, you know, the Swiss, the spiral batteries. Before I did the, when I did the white car, I was in California on a business. I visited their headquarters and said, you know, there's a business in car audio. And he says, really? <laughs> he this says, was Optima or? Optima, Optima batteries. Yeah. yeah. And I said, why don't you sponsor me? Needless to say, I get two batteries. It was originally in the white car, and then we transferred over to the other. Okay. You know, so companies found their way with this car. Yeah. And the, the funny story was the Zapco was spectacular. Nobody had ever heard bass like that up front. It was fast mm-hmm. and it was in your face. Yeah. I mean, it was not loose or anything like this. You know, it was spectacular. Let's put it that way. And I learned how to tune the car, but I think I had 80% of the tuning the first time. Wow. And to tune that car only would ever, t- I, I wouldn't have to tune that car every week. All these other people were tuning the cars constantly. Right. I tune it once, like once every five, six, seven shows at the most. And it took five minutes. You put on the pink noise, you move your time delay back and forth, and that's it. It's the same curve the whole time. You know, it was- During that time, too, you were probably one of the more predominant or first ones to really start focusing on tuning just for the driver's seat too, right? Well, that brings up another subject. People didn't realize, you know, I'm a business. I was a business person. I had a trucking company, mm-hmm. all with trucks all along the East Coast. And, you know, I had to drive. This car was my everyday driver. Yeah. You know, I'd go visit my drivers. I'd show up at five in the morning when they were supposed to be somewhere just to surprise them. I'd have to go visit <laughs> customers and things like that. Right. But what happened? This was the most unusual thing about this car. People didn't realize that I had it only for the driver's seat because I was driving it all the time. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my competitors towed their cars to shows. Right. You know, I was driving through the snow, the rain, everything. It didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. When we go take the kids to Disney World, we take my car, drive down there. So, yeah. you know, for me to make it for two seats, I had no interest in it. Right. But I got to tell you, I got the car back from Henry and I go to visit a customer, a very large customer, very large customer. And I had been trying to get an appointment with this guy. This is this is like the most the weirdest thing about this car. It's this car made me so much money. Nobody ever knew that. <laughs> and I remember I was trying to get an appointment with this company, and finally, I couldn't even get an appointment to come to this office. I said, "How about if I take you to lunch?" He says, "Okay, let's go to lunch." So I go up there. I'm in the door. They don't even let me in the in the building. They let me just in the lobby. He comes out. We go. We walk outside. And he looked at Paul, a young guy in his 20s. He was head of all transportation for this company. And they used to do maybe 100 trailer loads a day. That's a lot for, for one factory. And we're walking down the aisle to my car. He says, 
wow, look at that red car. Oh, that is like the coolest car. And at that point, I had those new three-spoke Antero wheels. You know, the mm-hmm. drug dealer the drug dealer wheels, I call them. <laughs> right. You know, kids would come up. Oh, I steal the wheels. I thought you drew the drugs. <laughs> and he looks at the car. I said, that's my car. I said, you want it? And I thought real quick. I said, you want to drive it for lunch? He says, I've never driven a BMW. You know, he was he was probably driving a K car or something like that. And the, the, the 540 was considered a pretty nice car at that time. I said, go ahead in. So I give him the I throw him the keys. He gets in. I get in the passenger seat. He turns on the key and the speakers rise up out of the dashboard. <laughs> He's looking like, what, what the hell is this? And the music comes on. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, his face turns very sad. And I didn't know what was going on. And he turned, I said, is there anything wrong? He says, no. He says, you know, my dad just passed away. And he used to, he had a Macintosh stereo at home. And we used to listen to it together all the time. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I said, come on, you want to see the back? I said, I've got tubes in this car. He looks at the trunk and you could see when he saw the tubes, it was like a sadness, you know, because he lost his dad. And Mm -hmm. we weren't talking, you know, and I'm looking like, wait a minute, uh, you know, what's going on here? I got to talk about trucks. And we get back in the car, we drive to lunch. He didn't say a word coming from the plant to where we're eating lunch. And we got the lunch. He says, let me tell you about my dad. He used to buy records and all this stuff. And I said to myself, I am not going to mention a word about my rates or my company or my sales pitch or anything during lunch unless he brings it up. He talked the whole lunch about his father and the family and everything like this. Wow. And we get back to the plane. He drives back. He says, you have your rates in the front seat of the car. He looks at them. You know, he says, your rates are pretty much right in there. He says, you have your telex machine. At that point, we had a telex. That's how he communicated. That's how they drop orders to you through a telex machine. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, here's my telex machine. He says, he said, send me a, a certificate of insurance. I'll start sending you orders. Wow. He ended up to be in today's dollars, two to $3 million account. <laughs> All you had to do is turn on the system. And I drove away and I'm saying like, what the hell happened here? Right. Well, it happened again. <laughs> I went to a contest. I said, you know what? I wanted to go to a stereo contest up in Methuen, Massachusetts. It was a big one. I needed some points. So I said, I'm going to drive up there. I haven't been up to Massachusetts. And then I'll do my appointments on Monday for the, you know, to my trucking, to my trucking people. Right. So I go to the contest. Nobody had ever seen the car up there. Everybody was getting in the car. I won best to show. And, you know, I was winning almost every one of them. I was winning first place because right. all the grills were on. And it really looked a lot better. And uh, I had an appointment at Friendly's Ice Cream, which is like a haagen ice cream in Boston. And I remember I walked in the guy's office. And he looked like one of these old Navy guys or Army guys had a flat shaved head. You know, on the top it was all flat. You could you right. could put a you could put a level on the top, and his head was level. <laughs> right. And he's got his arms crossed. Oh boy! And in sales terms, when his arms are crossed, he's not listening to him. Right. And I look up on the wall, and he's got like five or six Thunderbirds models, and and then he's got a picture of him next to his Thunderbird. Right. And I'm thinking, I'm going to try something. I don't know if this is going to work. Ma, I start talking Thunderbirds to him. I said, oh, you collect Thunderbirds? All of a sudden, the arms come on, undone. You know, he was <laughs> relaxed. Yeah. And I noticed that right away. 
and we're talking. I says, you got to see my car. He says, what do you mean? You know, because he had done custom work to his Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. We go outside and man, he just couldn't believe what he saw. He had never, he says, I didn't even know they had things like this. Oh no, it's just brand new. I just got it out of the shop like a few weeks ago. You know, I designed it, had this guy build it for you. I walked away with the account. He says, you know what? When you have a truck's near it, you call me. No problem. And I'm looking like I must be smoking dope or something like this. And I'm going to, I'm going to shows. I'm winning. I'm sharing all my information because everybody in home audio shared. Yeah. So I didn't keep any secrets for anybody. Right. Everything was right in front. And it happened at Dan and Yogurt. Another one. I mean, these are big accounts. Right. Uh, you go to Dan and Yogi, he's got Corvette. He was a Corvette guy. And I said, oh, you got to come outside. He comes out, he, he almost split a rib just looking at this car. <laughs> and he said, and we're listening. He says, while we're listening, he says, give me your presentation. And I'm presenting my, my, my trucks, my prices, the places I go in the front seat of the car. He says, you got any trucks next week? I said, yeah. He says, I'll send you some orders. <laughs> <laughs> Until I realized that all the truck guys were young people. So this car, not only for competing, it was bringing multi-million dollars into my business. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the best one. I'll tell you the last one was M&M Mars. You know, the people, the chocolate company. Yeah, Yeah. That is like one of the top companies to get. So I had talked to the headquarters. I just finished with them. And he says, well, you know, I'm not dealing with you yet. He says, but everybody that we think that could become a carrier for M&M, we want you to go out to the warehouse, meet our people, see if it fits your trucking company. Sure. So he said, he calls out to the warehouse and says, look, uh, Earl Salzmer is going to be coming out there and show him around. He's a potential, potential trucker. And I'm sure they get plenty of these. I get out of his office, which was in Hackensack, and the the warehouse was about a half hour away. I get on the phone and I call my dispatcher back at the office, and I said, "Tom, call this guy. Here's his number. He's the guy at the warehouse. Tell him I got to call the office. I got an important message. You know, he doesn't his beeper's not working, and so have him call in. And oh, by the way, you got to see the car he's driving." Oh, it's got like one of the best stereo systems in it. And it's sort of loud. It goes boom like this. And he starts talking. He says, and it was just featured in a magazine. It's really big. He says, okay, I'll give him the message. I pull up to the M&M warehouse. There's got to be 50 doors, you know, for trucks. Right. And there's like eight to 11 people waiting outside that door on the steps. And they're waiting for me. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> they wanted to see this car. Right. I sat there and demoed it to every single one of their guys. Wow. When I tell you, and then I opened the trunk, two days later, I get a call from the guy from M&M's. He says, you must have made a really big impression upon these people. We're going to put you on our list of carriers. <laughs> <laughs> was the, Just by showing up with the car. It was the craziest thing. So, you know, it, it really helped a lot and surprising things, but you know, people people thought you were spending time doing sound offs out of your main time and it was really just business. part of your sales trip. It was business. <laughs> that's why that's why people said, Oh, it was easier to do one seat. 
No, I did it because mm-hmm. I drove that car to all these appointments right. to see my drivers on the coldest, rainiest, snowiest day to check up that their trucks were being kept in good shape, that the trailers were good, right. to take customers out to lunch. That's why. That's why it was like that. And, yeah. and again, I did this. I visited sound offs in places where I wanted to go see customers or I needed new customers. <laughs> and the same deal, it, it worked through. And, you know, a funny thing was we were down in, in uh, South Carolina. You know, remember there was a big sound off in South Carolina mm. where Richard Clark and MTX had that monster-sized woofer. Mm. Remember that yep. big thing? Oh, and yeah, did, I've seen it. It didn't yeah. work. It didn't work that <laughs> right. time. And everybody kept asking me, what CDs are you listening to? Your car sounds so good. And they were all these obscure type of artists. Now, remember, that was part of the key of what you were listening to. Right. Those CDs in my car were made by Maple Shade Recording. Mm-hmm. Maple Shade Recording uses reel-to-reel tape, and he recorded every one of those CDs in his living room. So what happened was the car sounded like his living room. Later on, I introduced Maple Shade and Chesky and all the others to Richard Clark. I said, Richard, the stuff you're using on your Iaska disc, it's got to be updated. It's too cold. It's too sterile. He said, well, send me what you think is good. And if you notice, Rebecca Pigeon and all these other ones ended mm-hmm. up on the disc. And it brought yeah. to people that their systems can sound better. Here was another company that made money for my car. <laughs> I called Maple Shade and I said, I'm going to a show in South Carolina. I said to Pierre at Maple Shade, why don't you come down and take a booth? And I'm going to let people know that it's your recordings. You know, and I've been letting people know it's recordings because I give them the name of the group so they can't find them anywhere. Because they're one person. <laughs> right. And one of the groups comes up and it's in his house in the middle of nowhere. And the guy pulls up in a big long black Cadillac. He says, Where's the studio? He says, It's my living room. Are <laughs> 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 you kidding me? You, really? And a lot of people that recorded there live there. Oh, really? What he did was he had, he, he was a different kind of guy. Like there was a guy that did a drum solo. And he says, When you're ready, you tell me when you're ready to record. He did it the opposite of other people that said, you got to be in the recording at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. And Pierre told me his story. He says, he, he wakes me up at like 1030 at night. And he says, I'm ready to record, you know, this drum solo. He said, don't turn on the lights. So Pierre just gets his flashlight and his tape deck was run by batteries. He turns it on. The guy does a 30 minute stint, the whole half of the, half of the CD at one take, no second take, two microphones. Pierre turns the lights on. He's filled with sweat. He says the other guys that did like Rolling Stone, Papa was a Rolling Stone. I used to play a lot. Right. He said they just stayed at his house for a while. And he says, and he didn't even force them. They, and they, they asked his wife, Pierre's wife, like, does he want us to record? You know? <laughs> he didn't know. Says, when are we going to get working? Yeah, he says, Whenever you're ready, and they weren't used to that. Wow. And as a result, Pierre captured beautiful music that you heard in the car. And even his microphones, his microphone cables were soldered to the tape machine. He didn't believe in connectors. Wow. And the wire from the microphones, the coming out, you know, the the shielded wire, was one single strand, like as thick as a hair. He felt that if he used multiple wires or thicker wires, it wouldn't work. So it was all one enclosed in an inner tube. 
soldered at one end and soldered at the other. And then when he, he would have the tapes converted to digital, he would go to New York and they would sample him five to six analog to digital converters. He'd pick the best sounding and come out. But I, I told him, I said, Pierre, come on down here. He walks into this contest. And this was one of the loudest conventions we ever had. He says, I can't believe it. And he, he drives down in his maple mobile, I call it. It was an old K car. <laughs> he filled the trunk with CDs from the brim. He didn't know what to expect. By the end of the show, he says, Earl, I sold everything. He says, I don't have a single CD. He said they even bought the three demo CDs I was playing on headphones. He said, I have nothing to go home with. He says, the dealers that have that have these car-oriented dealerships, they were buying the whole series, like 10 or 12 CDs at a time. He made them a special deal. He bought more than five. It was only this much. And all these dealerships all across the United States got his CDs, and they started playing these CDs for their customers in the showroom. Mm. And he was getting calls from them saying, I am selling more stereo systems in cars because of your CDs. I was using junky material before. When you have new stuff, let me know and I'll buy it. Mm. He said, during that period, I sold more to the car audio people than at the Consumer Electronics Show and all the home audio dealers anywhere. Wow. And he it became a business yeah. for him. So it's like, Whoever knew, you know, it's, and then another thing happened at that show, a woman from Bose Audio shows up, very beautiful woman. She was right, VP of sales for Bose. And she walks out to me and she's in high heels. I'm like, what? She's dressed up in a suit. And I'm looking like, what are you doing here? She introduced herself, says, everybody tells me this is the card here. And I said, that's nice. I said, why don't you get in? And I sit in the back seat, and she says, well, could you just play something for me? Well, I turn on some of the maple shades and she looks, she says to me, says, take a look at my arm. <laughs> and all the hair in her arm was standing up. She says, I've never heard anything like this car. And I turned it off and the speakers went up and down. Right. And she just, she said, would you mind bringing this up to Massachusetts and to meet Dr. Bose? <laughs> and I said, sure, no problem on that. And I met him. Actually, wow! And you know, if you notice, some of the older bows had elevators, like on the tweeters. Yeah. Right. You wonder where they came from. Unfortunately, my father was not Gene Simmons that would patent and trademark everything. I would have patented yeah. and trademarked the lift any tweeter or woofer or mid range that was in the front of the car. And then Mercedes came out with the front woofer. You know, I don't right. know if you've seen the new Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, the firewall. In the firewall. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. you know, it was all frontal. I should have patented, but I didn't have a father that we didn't do that. But if Gene Simmons was my father, you would have been he would have been, it was an Earl, that thing lifted up, patented, yep. right there. Yeah. And we, you know, we just met, met people and, and the car progressed. And then, and then the last one was when I changed the trunk into more gold, the zebra wood, mm -hmm. the uh, tiptoes to hold the amplifiers. Oh, it's just, you know, just a lot, a lot of shows. And we really had a good time with the car. Everybody profited from the car. Everybody liked it. And the car has a very large following for years. My wife will even tell you that, you know, we had people calling here. Could you help me on building a car? You know, and I want it to sound like your car. And I'm sure people at the show in, in uh, West Virginia, there are people that, you know, I've heard my car. 
And many of them set the goals to, I want something that sounds like that. And now in Indonesia, the, the, the weirdest thing, this guy messages me from Indonesia. His name is Yutando. And he says, I'm into car stereo and all this stuff. And he's quite a serious guy. And he wanted more details. And I talked to him. It was a little hard to talk to him. I explained to him the advantages of up on the dashboard and all this stuff. And he says, I've heard all these people. And many big guys have gone over to Indonesia to go meet this man. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's pictures of, of the, the magic van. John went over there. Uh, one of my competitors went over there. You know, they're welcome with open arms. I haven't gone there. When I go to Singapore, maybe next year, maybe I'll stop over. Needless to say now, when you get on Yutanda's website, on his Facebook, you see all these cars and they're all speakers up on the dashboard. Everything. It's like yep. one yep. after the other. And it's like they're, they're, all, they're so clean. Their workmanship is so perfect. And this Yutanda bought Milberts. He got a pair of Milberts. And he'll tell you, he says, my system's never sounded like this. He says, having it up on the dashboard is the best way. And now you see these people, they got ribbons up on the dashboard. They got all these, you know, they've really advanced. Mm-hmm. I tried to do good for the industry. You know, I, I tried to be open. I never was one of these guys that said, no, you can't see what I'm doing. But the secrets was the directness of the speaker, the vacuum tubes, having the straight wire cable helped quite a lot. Having that Zapco amplifier that was so fast and the attaching it to the car Mm -hmm. was a big, big thing. And then the XES and the high crossover, all these things made for a sound. And so many people, when I would go to different sound offs, every once in a while, I'd take people to my sound offs, you know, like down in, uh, like I go to Perry, I took two or three other people. Right. Same thing. They, you know, they get in the car and hours later they said, you know, we're still listening to them, not tired of the sound. It's so nice. <laughs> and the other thing was when you're near field, like I was, you don't even need rear speakers. I had rear speakers in the car and after a while we just turned them off. There was no need for that. So no need for more reflections. Right. It was a very simple system. And people could build this kind of system today in a new car. For sure. I mean, they really could. But um, whatever happened to the car? Right. Whatever happened to the BMW? This is like the lost, what do you call it? Like the lost something? We moved to Arizona. The first day we get to Arizona, the car melted. Oh. All the rugs and carpets from the from the back, it was 122 degrees the first day the car arrived in 122, 122 and it had been, wow. and the guy slept in Arizona, so the car had been, had been cooking for a while. Right. I opened up the trunk and all the carpet had peeled away. It ended up that the, when you're in Arizona in a hotter climate, you use a, a little different glue than you do back east. <laughs> right. Everything peeled away, and I looked at the pods up front cracked in half. Turned the system on and it just blew the fuse out. It was just when it arrived. It was just it was it was in shambles. Let's put it that way. But I got it at least working a little bit better. And I remember I went to a sound off in Tucson, my first one, a few days after we got there. And we pull up and everybody is around the car on all four sides. <laughs> and I say, "Is this the car? Is this the car?" I said, "Yeah, it's my car." No, no, no. Is this the car? You know, and it, we realized right. that there were people out here that knew this car. We didn't know if they would know this car. 
it was famous here. But what happened was I put a new system in there I thought was going to be better, the new BMW with the six-inch mid, the newer tweeter, and the bigger woofer, but it never sounded as good. It was The speakers were designed by Lawrence Dickey, the new designer, and they were okay. turning more towards modern speakers, which were more analytical, more correct, you know, and they just, they weren't warm. They just didn't do it. And the install was horrible. Even after the car was taken apart, we didn't realize how bad the install was. So the best times was the first system. But some guy, I I just mentioned it somewhere that I was going to sell the car. And the car, everybody wondered, like, Earl, where'd your car go? I said, well, I sold it to some guy in Boise, Idaho. And the guy picks it up pays for it through the credit union, gave me a check, everything was okay. Guy calls me like two days later. He says, Earl, on the way home, I hit every stereo shop. He says, they all think I'm Earl. He says, everyone here, they want to listen to the car. He says, it took me an extra day to get home. This guy brought his friends down this, and he was like in heaven. He says, this is like the greatest thing. And I tell him this story about, you know, people would see, would see, customers would see it. And what did he do? He sold expensive vacuum cleaners. Okay? Uh, you put, <laughs> had nothing to do with audio. Had nothing to do with audio. <laughs> and you put water in it and it filtered the Thunderbird or something like that. It's very expensive. I mean, really expensive vacuum right. cleaner. Right. He says, I did what you told me. He says, they came out in my car. He says, they bought a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> Went from selling truckloads to vacuum cleaners. It was the funniest thing. And I said, who do you sell vacuum cleaners to? He says, people in house trailers. I said, get out of here. He says, no. He says, we do homes sometimes. He says, but people in house trailers, they don't know how to spend money. He says, they'll spend $600 on a vacuum cleaner. I said, you're going to be kidding me. He He says, no. So I take the car every time I go on an appointment. That's funny. And needless to say, it was something with him because he didn't make a single payment on the car for a while. And they repossessed mm. the car and he sued the, the, the finance company. The car sat in a warehouse for multiple years, multi-years. Oh, wow. Just sat there. Nobody checked the battery. Nothing. They didn't even cover the car. They just put it in one of these warehouses where they store while cases are being settled or you know legal cases are being taken care of. A few years later, they finally settled the case, and the man who takes care of all these vehicles to get rid of them, you know, like, hey, we've got a car that's been sitting here for four years, this one, right. you know, it was used in a robbery, it's ready to be sold, and all this stuff. And needless to say, this guy from the insurance company calls one of his people, said, I got a special car here. He says, it's a red BMW with these three-spoke wheels. <laughs> <laughs> or something, or something like, it's, or like it's got right. like stuff that comes out of the you know like there's holes in the dashboard or something like that he says he says the car you know the car's red right yeah he says open the trunk he says i opened it it's like all this gold stuff he says i'll take it <laughs> the guy knew the car apparently wow and he he sold it to somebody else in California, mm-hmm. which from what I hear was a singer of some type or a musician. Okay. The guy who bought the car knew what the car was. Right. He took it home. He had to get some things repaired on it because it had been sitting for so long. You know, it hadn't been driven. You know, it needed work. You know, if you just mm-hmm. if you just leave a car there. And he had the car, loved the car. I had never talked to the man or anything like this. 
And he had a heart attack or something happened to him. And he ended up that he was very sick and he didn't want to be without the sound of the car. So they drilled holes in the bottom of the car to feed his oxygen tank (laughs) through the bottom of the car because the car couldn't move. He couldn't drive. And he would sit in the car. The car was hooked up to an outlet and a 12-volt, big 12-volt power supply he had. And he would sit in the car all day while breathing oxygen, listening to the music in that car. He loved it so much. Wow. And then what happened is he got really sick and he found me. And he says, I bought your car. And he told me the whole story. He says, but he says, I'm getting sick to a point I can't even get in the car anymore. He says, it's, it has to go to somebody else and bring them pleasure. And I called Mike Milbert. He went out there, bought the car. And on the way back, he stopped by my place. None of the settings were in the, in the, in the Sony system. Everything had been erased. I reset it and I just did it by ear. And I'll tell you, I forgot how potent that car was, even with that newer system. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like it was shocking after not hearing one of these kind of systems. And Milbert had it, and he put it in a showroom somewhere in Maryland for a little while. And then after a while, he took it out, and it just sat outside for years, outside of his garage, Mm -hmm. just sat there. And then just lately, a man here, Mike, he had a shop in Buffalo. We've been friends, and he, he says, my lifelong goal was to build a car that sounded like yours. Wow. And he had a great shop up in Buffalo. Yeah. And he says, I could buy your old car. And I said, well, it's a BMW. You could buy a new, you could buy somebody else's BMW. You don't have to pay <laughs> extra, but Milbert sold him the car for about what the car cost. Okay. So he says, I got all the equipment for free. He says, I said, but the car's got a lot of holes in it and everything. Right. He brought it back. And uh, needless to say, he was glad he did because now he's talking to, He's rebuilding the car. Oh, wow. And he is a, a master perfectionist. Awesome. Master perfectionist. And he works in metal. And the car is going to be better than ever. The two of us are working on the car, the design. He, he took the woofers from what we used to have, which were, you know, the grills that covered the woofers. Right. Were only grills from three and a half inch speakers. So the whole 13 inch woofer was coming out through a three and a half inch open. He now is opening the whole thing up. We're just hoping the car doesn't collapse in the center. And we're, you know, like one of those candid camera cars. (laughs) As long as as the car stays together to to fit the system and you'll be good. The Milberts, he's got the Milberts. They're in great shape. The XES system's going to be there. He has collected BMW speakers like nobody I've seen. (laughs) He's got, I think, maybe eight, 10, 12 uh, mid-ranges. And then he's got like six or eight woofers of my car. Wow all finding them for people that had old speakers he'd buy. He'd say, you keep the cabinet, right. I'll, I'll take the speakers. And then at the factory, <laughs> they they cleaned out some room, found two more speakers that had never been used. He bought them. You know, he's got a collection. I'm afraid that if the guy passes away, they're going to bury him with the speakers. You know, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well is he keep, keeping the zebra wood in there? Yes. Oh, yes. It oh, looks awesome. very nice. Awesome. And he's, you know, he's rebuilding it like this. And he's really one of the most talented guys I've ever met. And he understands sound. He knows what he wants. And this has been a dream of his. And he's not the only guy. There's many people that have heard that car that left a big impression. And many of them hearing it said, now they heard Earl's car. I know what I want to achieve. That was the difference between me and all the other competitors. I had home audio 
and I knew what sound I wanted. Yeah. When most of the other guys were just saying, well, I want to put a 12 inch, but they didn't know the end. You know, it's like, it's like when you build a company, it's like saying, well, I'm just going to start a company. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know. Just as I go, I'll try it. You have to have a goal. Right. And I knew my goal in the car. So it is done. So the car is like a magical thing that's done a lot for many companies. It's done many for many people. It has brought me business for my family. It has brought enjoyment to endless people at the shows. And I know people thought I was odd because there was only one seat, but unlike other people that would trailer their car in and everything, I drove it every day. I, I mean, I remember going up to the show in Canada and I come there and the whole car, one of my fenders was filled with snow. I'd take the fenders off, empty the fe- empty the snow out of the fenders, you know, and clean, it, and clean the car up. And they had a hose outside, but the hose was frozen. So I had to keep moving the hose until the ice would melt in there. Right. And, and everybody else's car is so clean because they trailered it up there. And it was nice that before they would start the show, the head judge would say, could I put all my judges through your car? I, I said, Here's the CDs, you know how to work it. And all the judges would sit in my car first, you know, just so they knew what to listen for. Oh. And that was really good. I enjoyed that. So it sounds like you were definitely more of the the mindset that I think a lot of people say they want to have or maybe say they do have, but of the competition was a, a secondary or even third part of what you're after with it. You were truly knew what you wanted, you made it for you, you made it for your own enjoyment and to share with others and, you know, whatever Yeah. the byproducts of the competition were byproducts that wasn't the focus. No, and you know, there were shows that, uh, there were two or three shows that I purposely threw. <laughs> there was one in the Carolinas one day and I, I remember I drove down there and my car was really the big car. There was no question about that. You know, there was a nice car, but all these people said, we've seen this in magazines and we've never heard it. Can we hear it? And there was a guy in my class and he was crippled. You know, he was in very bad shape. Mm -hmm. And I could see, you know, he did a lot of this work himself. It wasn't up to standard. And I told the judge, I said, whatever you do, give me the worst scores you can. I said, this is a guy that worked a lot harder than me. And you know what? It didn't bother me to do that. And he won the show, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I did that on two other, I think two other occasions. You don't need to win. And some guys would say, oh, you know, you got all this money to do this. It wasn't about money. It was, I liked good sound right. and I could advance the art of car audio. Sure. And I could take the sound with, I could take my home stereo with me. Because remember, when I started really getting on the road, the goal was, that I didn't want to leave my home system. Right, right. That was as an audiophile, two days without a car with the home system, you're you're this way. And my goal was to get it to the car to sound somewhat like home. Right. But it ended up that the car was so superior, I had no interest in home stereo. And and I remember just I took my car stereo friends to New York. We went to the stereophile show at the Waldorf Astoria. Mm. And they had never been to a home stereo show. We went through it. And they were looking at all these special cables and all these kookaboo, you know, all these things and the horn speakers and everything. And they all walked away and says, do you know that our, all of our cars sound better than every stereo here? You know, 
So it was it was nice and it's crazy when it when it reverses. And you met a lot of people, and it was nice having having meals with them. Yeah, you know, like during the competition. Come on, we're all going over here to have lunch. You want to come with? Right, right. So it was really a friendship, and I was never one of these guys that said I don't talk to them because they're my competitors. No, I never once ever held back anything that anybody asked me on that car. Mm-hmm. There was no secrets. Yeah. It was none. And I'll tell you another thing. It was so nice to see. I was at the, my car was on display at the Consumer Electronics Show and it brought in a lot of people. It was from, I think it was with Milburn. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my brother and I went to CES a few years ago and I walked in and all these guys come up to me, you know, Earl, I now work for this company. Oh, I remember this car. (laughs) This is the guy. And it was so nice to see people that were competitors that right. that was now their job. Yeah, that's where their life went. Oh, you know, I have a big shop here. I have three shops over here. Mm-hmm. This guy said I'm now VP of sales over here. This one, I do this, and I have to tell you, it was so nice to see. It was like a full circle for everything. Yeah, it really was. That's very cool. So, are you still into audiophile things now, or what do you listen to on now? I know it's crazy to say, but. You know, I go to all the audio shows because mm-hmm. I still know a lot of people at the home audio and a lot of the displayers still rem- know me. And I listen to them all. And it's a shame because none of them really compare to the car. Mm-hmm. I, I try. And uh, there was there's many systems I listen to. I was in Munich, Germany at the at the Munich Hi-Fi show. That's the biggest in the world. Yeah. And that's all high end. And I sat there. I said, there's not a single system here that has the impact, has the focus because you're in a big room. You know, you have to fill a big room with sound. Right. When you're in a car, it's very focused. So what I have done is, a few years ago, I, I found this company that made custom in-ear monitors, like headphones. Okay. Like, like the one I'm listening to right now, my earphones, right. has 18 speakers in each ear for you, in each earpiece. Wow. I had to have my ears uh, molded. Right. The wires are silver wired. You can get all kinds of cable. And the things, you know, when you put these on, they fit like a glove. You can't hear anything. If it, I mean, I'm sitting next to my phone, maybe two feet away from my phone. Mm. And when the phone rings, I can't hear it. <laughs> so it puts you in a world that's very quiet. Yeah. And the ear end, it doesn't, with this thing, the speakers are about an eighth of an inch away from my eardrum. <laughs> right. So I have no room interference, no nothing. They go from about 11 hertz all the way up to like 24,000. Wow. And I tell you, this is my fourth pair of them. I just love them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I go to the shows, the sound quality of these are equal to anything we've heard. And just maybe two months ago, I heard the new Wilson system, the WAM, W-A-M-M. The speakers themselves are (laughs) $875,000. They had just set them up and they had the uh, Brewmeister amplifiers they look like a building i mean it's a million at least a million and three quarter to a million and a half and i'm listening to them and i mean it's got a lot of bass to it right and it's in a room that's a theater room you know so it had good acoustics sure and it was adjusted for where i was sitting there was one position you sit and i walked away and i said you know what i'd take my in-ear monitors in my car any day over this <laughs> I, I mean seriously I haven't been able to hear anything better than the car. I haven't been able to hear anything better right. than the headphones. And again, when you shut everything out, well, you know, when I walk in the mall, 
imagine you're taking a, a stereo system that's thousands of pounds with you. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how long the extension cord had to be? I'm telling you. <laughs> so when I walk in the morning, I'm listening to all kinds of high-level stuff. Mm-hmm. And on my iPhone, you'll never believe, but iPhone puts out an extremely good sound. And it's not too far off from the Estelle and Kearns when you listen with these. You know, there's only so much, there's only so much sound you can get out of a out of a CD. Sure. So I like going to the shows because I know people. It's like my old, it's like an elephant going back to his it's old stomping, ground. stomping <laughs> grounds. And that's really what it is. I like seeing them. Yeah. I like seeing the people, the atmosphere. I like seeing all the new turntables. I like seeing all this stuff, but I'm very happy. I mean, it all ended up with these headphones. I mean, they're eleven. They're about eleven, twelve hundred dollars for each of them. Mm-hmm. You know, for a new pair of right. headphones. Right. And I don't even need the Estelle and Kern. I don't need a fancy system. And it's just, I'm very happy here. And yeah. as you get older, you like more quiet time. Sure. So that's what's happening now. I'm liking uh, when I go for a walk. I put my earphones, and sometimes I don't even plug them in because it's so quiet. When I work, walk, I don't even hear the cars anymore. So right. that's the ending to a story. Yeah, yeah. And the car is coming back in all of its glory and better. That's phenomenal. And you know, it's a happy story. I think is that the right way to say it? it's a happy no, story. Absolutely. So ask me. And what else do you need to know? No, I, I mean, I think you covered most everything. I mean, you talked about Maple Shade a lot, but one thing would be like if you had one song that you could use to evaluate a system when you're going and listening to these different systems and that, what, what's your what's one of your go-tos? Uh, there isn't anymore because there's too yeah. many good ones. There are too <laughs> many good labels now of real audiophile music. Right. And there's many of them that are bringing the old analog stuff that was made on tape Sure. And they're putting it on CDs. There's a company now just doing, that's all they're doing. They buy the old master tapes, they sample them at a high rates, and they sound extremely good. And even tape is getting big. So you're seeing all these master tapes coming back. Right. You're getting super quality CDs. So there's so many. It's not just reference. It's Chesky is to me middle of the road now. Mm-hmm. And and even, even Maple Shade is very good. But there are so many great labels out there. If you go, it's called Native DSD. If you go there, they these are all companies that are recording direct to DSD. No, okay. no work on them or whatever. It's got to be 50 companies. And if you listen to music, it's pure. Right. And there are companies now coming out with new master tapes made brand new. I mean, tape is growing faster than vinyl. <laughs> and you see vinyl has taken off. College kids are getting into good sound. Yeah. They're not not into junk sound. They want good sound. I don't know. The hobby has changed, yeah. and it, it goes. But the good thing is that when I'm on an airplane, I could take my, my big system that I used to have or my car and have it right in my airline seat. <laughs> sure. And not hear any kids crying or anything like this. <laughs> It's pretty. It's yeah. pretty cool. Back, backing up a little bit on the marketing side of the car, I would say that in terms of public marketing, it seems like your car got more than most. That doesn't just happen. They don't come to you. So, h- how did that happen? It doesn't happen. I was very enthusiastic, and I think it was all the acid I did from when I was younger <laughs> that would come out every once in a while. <laughs> I was the one of the first guy to have a website. Okay. And I had real audio 
Real Audio. You know, that was the name of it yeah, at the time, yep. I think. Right, right. And I was recording the shows and recording things of my car and putting it online. Okay. And my, my site, even at that time, it was costing me a few hundred dollars a month just for bandwidth mm. because, and everybody, you know, it was, it was the first of its kind. And, it, and people were coming on close to 2000 new people per day. Mm. Wow. Which for me was a lot for car audio. Right. Right. And I was watching and I was getting sometimes more hits than I ask a site because <laughs> I knew how to, I knew how to check out how many, how many hits they were getting. Right. And there were many days I was getting more hits and then I said, I'm going on TV. I call up CNBC and I said, you know, this car, this and this. He says, okay, come on in. And I go out to Burbank studio and they do a whole thing on there. Then all of a sudden, you know, I jammy with Jay Leno. And then we get all these magazine articles and I was pursuing them. And then in Japan, my car was voted Ishiban car. It was on the front cover of some Japanese magazine. And all of a sudden, more people from Asia wanted to hear this car. And write, and they would write me about it and everything like that. And then a guy from Holland calls me up and says, Earl, we, we see your car. I want to fly over. We're going to do a story on your car. I said, okay. And then for the hell of it, I said, I'm going to call Time Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I called Time Magazine. And they said, it sounds unusual, but you know, right. they sent an editor out here. He was a really nice guy. And he says, you know, I sent out here to do the story with a photographer. And I said, before you do the story, you're here late. It's too late to do any shooting. Come on, we'll go out to dinner. And it was it was funny. We went out to dinner. I took him to a place called the Organ Stop. It's where they have a real pipe organ and, and pizza. And he was like flabbergasted. And I said, you've never heard a large Wurlitzer Theater organ in person? He says, no. I said, and you work for this these magazines? And he went up to the organist. You write what song? And he said, Stairway to Heaven. I said, that's Led Zeppelin. I said, Stairway to Heaven is an old song. And he played that one. He says, that doesn't sound like it. I said, no, it's a totally from a different age. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> and I remember he was he took the pictures out in the desert with me dressed up in a tuxedo. Mm -hmm. It was the craziest thing. And he took all the pictures with all the gold and everything, did a nice story. And it went United States wide. And next thing I know is uh, Reuters shows up at my front door on a Sunday morning. And Ro I said, what's Reuters doing here? He says, a uh, newspaper in Detroit wants to do a story on your car. I'm here to do the pictures, if you don't mind, and they're going to call you. I said, okay. And next thing I know, the people of Detroit, they sold the story to 220 other newspapers throughout the United States. Wow. I was like all over, you know, and <laughs> it's like everywhere, you know, it was like everywhere. And then when people would see the car in different places, even when I was in Connecticut, they'd say, is that the car that was in the newspaper? Because of those three spoke wheels. Right. So there was a lot of publicity to this car it was because I pushed it. And I enjoy I enjoyed it. And then we got on the local channel and everything. And I look at the old video. I look like I was on, on on a speed or something. But I enjoyed doing it. And and I'd always say, and there's an Iaska is the competition, and you can go to one of their shows. Mm -hmm. I would always mention, you know, his shows. And I thought Iaska would get involved with it. And they they just never picked it up. You know, like they were looking like you're showing off by being on television. I said, 
I'm promoting car audio. <laughs> I said, and you guys are supposed to be promoting it. Well, it's not exactly what we do. We do the local contest and this and that. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And, and for me, marketing and publicity for my regular companies that I owned, right. I was I was very familiar with it. So it came natural. And not only that, it helped my sponsors. Right. And it was it was cool. And then and then uh, Alma came along and she was on the show with me. You know, they called her and says, well, you know, we have two different shows. Says I'm the audiophile and Alma Gates is this is who's Alma Gates. And they say they called her and had her on television. And it was it was funny to see a grandmother, you know, with, with a car like that. <laughs> and she was the coolest. She was a terrific person. Yeah. I mean, you think about a grandmother that your grandkids fall in love with you. And your grandmother <laughs> is sitting there competing with your younger friends. And she's going out to the lunches with everybody. She's sitting with all the guys. I, I mean, right. you know, she... Oh, and she- Trash talk with the best of them, too. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean she, think she, of it from her point of view and her family and her kids. Right. It was a cool thing for her and a cool thing for her family. Yeah. And she was in trucking as well. Yeah. Well, she also owned a piece of property here in Arizona. She had a big junkyard or something. And it was like, it's in prime location. And finally, she sold it. I can't even imagine what they got for it. <laughs> but, you know, that's what she did. She liked yeah. talking to everybody. She liked showing up at the shows. Am I going to sit in an old age home right. or am I going to go out with my grandkids and go to the shows? Yeah. That's where I'm going to go. And I guarantee you her grandkids thought she was the coolest person on earth. And I think my kids used to go to, to, to Shandoff's with me. Right. They loved it. They loved when we went to a show and there was the fish man. And they're looking like, why is there a fish in his back seat? <laughs> <laughs> and then at the same show, there was some guy in a motorcycle outfit with an ice cream thing. It was called the ice cream man from hell. And he sold good humor ice cream. You know, it was like oh, wow. all these things. And the kids used, we used to go on overnight trips. Like, you know, take my daughter sometimes to the sound offs. And she enjoyed it because other people took their kids there. So my kids had people to play with. Right. So it encompassed everything. One thing I think we uh, maybe glossed over a little bit is the uh, ski hole access fuse panel. We couldn't figure out where to put any of the fuses and all this stuff. And Henry says, I'm going to machine everything for you. So when you took the armrest down, he says, I'm going to machine directly a bar directly for your power strip to here. He machined everything custom. Mm -hmm. And then we put dichromatic uh, lights in there. And if you remember my trunk, I had these special lens lights right. that lit everything up in a pure yellow color and it made all the brass and all of his machine work light up. Okay. And it made the the trunk, the last trunk, you know, with the beige BMW carpet. Mm -hmm. Right. That was something that, you know, when I did it originally it had a gray, the gray stretch. It wasn't anything fancy. Right. And then I said, I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna make it look different. And that's when I went with the tiptoes to hold the amplifiers. And all the carpet, BMW carpet, they could put in there. And then I'm going to light it up differently with the gold. And once I opened that trunk and people saw it for the first time, it was there was nobody had ever done anything like that. And especially with the lighting system. Right. It was just, you know, it was, you have to think differently to be like everybody. You know, like if you're going to be a success, you don't do it with everybody. You don't start a company that everybody else started. You have to be different. Right. And that was the advantage of doing drugs when I was younger because everybody <laughs> had to think differently. Yeah. 
for somebody who is looking to do something similar as far as, you know, building a, a high level car like you did or or doing anything like this, what, what piece of advice would you give to them? I'm glad you asked that. You can do it. There is now equipment that you can build a car very close to mine. You know, the, the, the key to it is that coaxial mounting of the drivers. And I heard a speaker, I talked to Mike about it, maybe about putting them into the car, but he likes the BMW, and I understand. But KEF, K-E-F, yep. has the speaker, the LS50. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Yep, yep. I heard this speaker the other, the, the other month. I was blown away by how nice it sounded. Beautiful detail, warm, British sound. And I guess it must have passed me by because when I read the reviews, they're all over the place, like unbelievably good. And I went to Best Buy, I hooked it up to my phone, and I was shocked at how good it sounded. And it's a single driver. And my thought is anybody that wanted to build a system today, even the top guys, all you got to do is buy an LS50, take the speaker out of it, build an enclosure right on top of the dashboard. You don't have to have a separate tweeter mount, no nothing. You can buy amp it or single amp it. You can put Milberts in if you want to. And now, have you seen this KC62? No. Imagine a gigantic magnet with two voice coils in opposing directions. And what it has is two woofers, opposing woofers, six and a half inches. It's the newest design. They got like half a dozen patents on it. And the crazy thing is, you could fit this in front of your seat in a car. Like when you're sitting in the car, right where your knees drop off, right. you could have it attached to your seat right there under both of your legs. This is crazy. Here's the specifications on it. Its response is 11 hertz to 200 hertz at 105 decibels. That's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. With a six and a half inch woofer. Yeah. Okay. There's two six and a half inch drivers. It's this magnet is is big. So if somebody really wanted to make a car that's so listenable, just take two of these, put them up on the dashboard, fiberglass and enclosure, and you could have it so you could take the enclosure off when you sell the car. So you don't even have to dig the car up. Make a nice rack for yourself with a DSP. And, you know, you could use any amplifier or use tubes if you want to. And put these right next to your seat. You don't even have to drill anything for a subwoofer. It's very nice. Now, you know, a lot of the car systems have gotten better than they were a long time ago. Sure. Uh, actually, I was in the new Rolls-Royce Ghost. It took me, I was there at the premiere. And it's a very nice system, but it doesn't compare to my, you know, compare to my system. Right. But it's getting better. But putting a KEF system in, a competitor could have it extremely. That's what if I was going to build a new car, right? I that's my system. That's what I would buy <laughs> with two Milberts, yeah, and I uh, probably the Zapco system, you know, with the DSP in it, right? Or the Sony because I, I heard John's the Magic Van when he converted over to that Sony digital head end, the difference was groundbreaking. Groundbreaking, I, I just like, is that the same truck? It was unbelievable. Oh, the the GS9 head unit? Yes. It made a spectacular difference. And I said, John, I've never heard your van sound like this. Now, here's another guy. He loves showing this to people, teaching them. He meets all the jazz people. Right. 
audio could bring in a lot of good people. It really can. And it's for sure. you, you can see by my experience, it did nothing but good for me. There was no negatives. Awesome. No negatives. Yep. I think a lot of that was the, the attitude and the approach that you had too. Yeah. You know, a lot of that was in your head. You know, I felt bad because, you know, I remember a funny experience. This is, this is what made me feel terrible. Uh, I was at Henry's and I took, uh, at the at the time, it was my best friend, Erwin. Good looking guy. Looked like Harry Belafonte. Very good looking guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, like even today, he's a magnificent looking man. And I remember uh, we come from Henry's. I said, I said, Erwin, could you drive? I said, I'm really tired. So he, go, he, he drives and we pull into a Burger King. He's driving my car. Pulls up to the window, and these two girls stick their heads out and say, Wow, what a nice car. Wow. <laughs> I'm looking like, you know, it says, Yes. And Erwin is playing says, Yeah, I got it a little while ago. And see, I put these speakers in and all that. Wow. <laughs> Both girls gave him a sheet of paper with their phone numbers on it. We drive away from that, even this very day. I said, I've been driving this car for five years, and the McDonald's girl only says, "Can I take your order, please?" I said, "You drive it once, and you get and you get their phone number." So I felt terrible. <laughs> it's, so it, it shows you, no matter how nice the car, it doesn't mean you're going to get the girl. So that was that <laughs> was the it. only that was the only negative story I could tell. <laughs> well, that's that's a pretty good negative story. <laughs> that's a, it's just a funny. It's just a funny story. And everybody will see the new car when it's done. And awesome. I think they're gonna they're gonna fall in love with it. And he's a guy with all these speakers. I'm telling you, right? He, 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 is there a well? He, is there a target for when the car is gonna be released? I don't or? know. He's, he's been going to therapy. He goes to SA, you know, Speakers Anonymous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's collecting all these things. So I have to see right. the free treatment. He has to work on the car. I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 it's I don't think it's gonna be that long. Because right, he's been right. busy with work, he's got a lot of promotions. Since he moved from Buffalo to here, he's he's in the mortgage business. He's got a lot of promotions. He's doing very well. Life is really very good for him. Awesome. And this is just a like the icing on the cake. Yeah. And he's he's going to take it to different shows and different places. He and I have told him that this car has brought me a lot of pleasure, right. and it's time to for someone else to get it. Sure. And that's why I'm backing him up on everything. I, I help you know. We discuss a lot of this car. That's awesome. And, and design, and he's very good. He's, he's really he's not a schleppy guy. That's just saying, okay, he right. bought the car. He's going to do it over. No, that's not that's not him. Right, no. right. He's he's very anal when it comes to everything. Has to be perfect. He took he took the whole dashboard out. I never seen seen a car with a dashboard out. Everything's out. Everything. And then the metal he's rings. Doing it right. The metal rings. Yep. He right. he didn't make a metal ring. He made a whole plate to cover the whole thing as one piece. And I, I looked, I said, you know, that really is a great idea. But when we did the ring, that was revolutionary at that time. <laughs> right, right. You know, nobody had ever, nobody had ever done that kind of stuff. You know, But there were a lot of people that had these, like these big GMC trucks or vans. Yeah. And what they did was they drilled the bottom floor out. And they put the woofers in the floor. Right. When you made the hole, you could see the road. And they were free air, and they liked. It. There were a few people that did it that way. Yeah, you know, yeah. But a lot of people. It's very surprising, and especially like I said before, in Indonesia. Mm. Let me. I'm going to give you this guy's name for any of the people. Just go on his site, and you will start seeing just all these Indonesians that really do magnificent work. His name is Utando. U 
T-A-N-T-O, and his last name is W-I-B-O-W-O on Facebook. Mm -hmm. When you subscribe to him, it brings you into a world of all these different competitors over there, like where we were all those years back. Right. They're serious. They're really good. They're good craftsmen, and their ideas are very good, but they're all up on the dashboard now. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them with a single rear speaker in them either. So they're all, right. once I got friends with him, all of them followed, all of them followed the same pattern. So <laughs> people that I'll probably never meet in my lifetime ended up having to get better sounds and, and more enjoyment from one red car. So that's the story. That's the story. It's different from what may, people may think. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks for taking the time, and we'll chat soon. You got it. Thank you very much. 